In our study in the parables this morning, uh, we're at the Watchful Servants, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. So if you have your Bible, uh, Luke 12, 35 through 48, and I've got great news for you this morning. Last week was uh, a difficult message to talk about, right? Because nobody loves to talk about money. Does anybody here like to talk about money? They called it the last great taboo. So you guys up here up front who are awkward, you like to talk about money. The rest of us don't, right? So last week we had to talk about a subject that nobody wants to talk about. This week, we get to talk about something that everybody always wants to talk about. The end times. We're going to talk about the end times this morning. You ready? You excited? And I told the first service, here's what happens. People are always excited about the end times and talking about them, especially when like your political party is not in power. Like, you're ready to talk about the end times, right? It's like, they're here, I knew it, the other team is winning, and we need to talk about the end times, right? Something bad happens somewhere in the world. A couple of world leaders that we don't like get together and have a conversation. It's the end times, we need to do a study in Revelation, and let's get ready to go. We get to talk about the end times today, everybody loves to talk about the end times, and so... My, I'm going to give you my sermon, the whole outline right up front, because I just want to make sure that everybody's excited as I am. There's always three questions that everyone has when they, when they talk about end times. First of all, like when? When is it going to happen? I'm going to answer that question today, okay? When? Number two, like how? Okay? Are we going to get like raptured out of here? Are we going to have to go through really bad times? We're going to answer the when and the how, and then the most important question, how much ammo do I need? Right? <laughs> And the first service was really excited about that. I said, we're going to talk about how much ammo and canned meat and like bottled water and do I need to get a bunker. So we're going to talk about that this morning. You excited? There's going to be a follow-up book. There will be a YouTube channel, podcast. It's going to be crazy. People will be flocking here for Easter because we're going to be that crazy church that talks about conspiracy theories in the end times. Amen? No. No. We're not going to do that. Ah. So here's one of the things. People, we're going to talk about the end times. But people are always, we, we start to talk about the end times. Everybody has those questions like how and when and where. And people say the scripture's not clear on the end times. But I, I got news for you. Scripture actually is pretty clear on the end times. Did you know that? Like scripture's actually really clear. Now, here's the difference. Scripture is not very clear on everything that I would like to know. Right? It doesn't tell me everything I want to know. It does, though, tell me everything I need to know about the end times. So here's what we know about the end times. Number one, Jesus will return. You can do better than that. Jesus will return. Yes. That's the thing we're looking forward to, by the way. The ammo, you buy that for your own, necess- own needs and whatever. I won't knock you for it. But we're excited about the end times because Jesus will return. Read the end of the book. Like he's coming back. And it's going to be real. It's going to be bodily. It's not like some idea that's floating around out there. It's like real and bodily. Jesus will return. That's number one. Like if you know anything about the end times, you know that. Number two, Jesus could return at any time. Like it could happen at any time. There's not like we're not like waiting to tick off two or three more different things off the list and then he can come back. He could return at any time. We refer to that as the imminent return of Jesus, meaning that it could happen at any time. So Jesus will return. Jesus could return at any time, and Jesus is returning both to save and to judge. That's clear, that's unequivocal, that's there in all the end times texts. That Jesus is coming to 
to save those who are repentant. And he is coming to judge those who are unrepentant. That's a crash course in the end times. Jesus will return. Jesus could return at any time. And Jesus is returning both to save and to judge. That's really what the end times, when we study scripture and focus on the end times, that, that's what we know for sure and know clearly. And, and that means that's all we need to know clearly. Now, I have a view on the end times and the how and the when and what that means for us who are Christians and what that means for people who aren't Christians and what that means for the nation of Israel as God's people and things like that. And those are important. And I would encourage you to study end times in that light. But for our purposes today, I want you to know this, is that like when Jesus talked about the second coming, he didn't do it so that some guys would create charts and timelines and like, you know, start to look at news headlines and figure out which news headlines line up with the book of Revelation and start to like do typology and things. He did it to impact the way people lived and thought right here, right now. Here's a quote for you to think about. Christian ethics are eschatologically driven. I, I know that sounds smart, so you know I didn't come up with it. I read it somewhere else, but I thought this is really good. Christian ethics are eschatologically driven. Let me I'll give you an example of that. Christian ethics is like the right and wrong, right? The black and white, the right and wrong, the good, the bad, making decisions, just the everyday life with everyday things. And we can actually see that in this text. So in, in Luke chapter 12, our text today, Jesus is going to teach a parable about being ready for the end times. But this text is immediately adjacent to the text that we preached and alluded to last week that was all about money. And the parable of the rich fool last week was like, don't hoard your possessions. And then right after that was like, don't be anxious about your possessions. And the last verse, verse 34, Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then he immediately follows that. And again, this is the same sermon, the same group of people. Jesus immediately follows that with stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning that start our text today. And what he's saying is this. Like if you're, if you're hoarding all of your possessions and all your money or you're always anxious and worried and freaked about if you're going to have enough possessions and money, your mind's not in the right place. And what he's going to say is, is, is that your, your eschatology, your view of the end times, the way you think about the end times, should actually really impact the way that you save and the way that you spend, the way that you give. Your eschatology like, has a lot to do with the way you spend your time, the way that you spend your, your God-given gifts and abilities. So eschatology, like end times in Scripture doesn't really exist as much to inform us of all the ins and outs of then as to motivate us for right now and in the present and to live prepared and live ready to go. And what today's parable is going to do is it's going to teach us two things that we didn't to know as we approach end times. Two very specific things as we, that we need to know as we approach the end times. The first one of them is found in verses 35 through 40. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 12 Verses 35 through 40. We're going we're gonna to look at this idea of readiness. Let me read 35 through 40. The idea of readiness. He says, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. He will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, 
he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The, the idea of readiness for the second coming of Christ. And let's dig into these verses and see a few different aspects and pieces that we need to understand with that. Verse 35, stay dressed for action. He'll actually use two different uh, word pictures right there in that first verse. And when he says stay dressed for action, uh, many of you know that the terminology of there, there is uh, translated like uh, gird up the loins. If you're reading the King James, it probably says something to do with gird up your loins. And you're like, what are loins? Isn't that something you barbecue? It is. It's a different message. Like a literal translation, hitch up your hips. That's weird, isn't it? And you probably know, like in that day, they wore robes, and so if they were going to prepare for battle or to prepare to hunt or run or do something, they had to take those robes, and they, they couldn't run with those things around their ankles. And so they would hitch those things up and tuck them in at their waist around their hips, and then their legs were ready, and they could, they could go and they could run. They call it short shorts now. It's a new trend. It's weird. But it's biblical, so I'm just going to put that one out there. <laughs> where, where, do, the, do with that what you want. Somebody's going to leave and be like, I just heard that we can wear short shorts now. And that's not okay. Uh, but the idea with girding up your loins is, especially when they were going to war, right? Especially when it was time for battle, you had to be prepared for battle. You didn't go into battle unprepared, unable to act, and unable to do what you needed to do. We had a Navy SEAL here this morning, and, and I confirmed with him that you don't go to war in your PJs. Like I talked to him after the service. Peyton, like, just help me. I know you're a Navy SEAL. Like, you could kill someone with your bare hands. Do you go to war in your PJs? No, you don't, you don't wear PJs, right? We don't go to war in our PJs. We stay dressed for action. I think uh, in military terminology, like, if you're in a hot zone, if you're in a, in a war zone, you, you go to bed with your boots on, right? You're ready to pop up at any time and go to battle and be ready to go. That's the idea that he's talking about when he says, stay dressed for action. And then he says, keep your lamps burning, and in that day, they carried, instead of like flashlights or cell phones, they carried these little lamps around. They had to keep them filled with oil, and they would keep them burning. And to keep them burning, you had to keep filling them with oil. The oil was out, then the lamp burned out. There's actually a parable that we'll talk about related to that later. But maybe you've had this similar experience. Uh, even recently, right, we've had bad weather. And sometimes the wind blows and the power goes out around here. Uh, I don't know if you've lost power here over the last few days with the wind blowing and things like that. But usually in all of our houses, there exists this special drawer. Do you guys have the special drawer in your house? Like if I say the drawer and you're like, oh yeah, the drawer. You know what I'm talking about. Like everything that you're going to need someday but don't need right now is in the drawer. Usually there's more in the drawer than the drawer was intended to hold, right? And one of the things that's usually in the drawer is a flashlight for when the power goes out. Now, usually when the power goes out, you grab your cell phone and then realize that light's not really strong enough, but maybe it can get me to the real light that's in the drawer. And then you open the drawer and you use that light to try to rifle through the drawer and you realize, why do we have this drawer and all the stuff in the drawer, right? So you pull out all the other things from the drawer and then you find the flashlight and it's dark and you have the flashlight and then you turn on the flashlight, but the flashlight doesn't come on. Why? Because you were unprepared, Right? The batteries are dead. I can't believe this. I have this in the drawer for a reason, and now the batteries are dead. Why do we even have this drawer, honey? Like, why do we have the drawer? Why do we have the flashlight? But in those moments, like, we're unprepared for what we're supposed to be able to do. When you pull the flashlight out and it turns on, you're like, see, kids, I was prepared. 
We're ready to go. Now we can see our way around the house, and no one's going to come in and try to kidnap you. But at the end of the day, both of these little pictures here have to do with being ready at all times. Look at the very first word in verse 35. Stay. Continue. Not like wait until the war comes and then go get dressed for action. Because if the war comes to your front door and you're not dressed and ready for it, guess what? You're dead. Thank you. Good answer. Right? If our Navy SEAL is out there doing what they're, he's doing and what the group is doing... And they're not dressed and ready for action? Problem. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. There's a continued aspect to this readiness. Always ready and always prepared. And so then Jesus is going to tell them this story. He's going to say, be like, in verse 36, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And the idea is this, in, in that day, is that there was in, in apparently a, a more wealthy, uh, affluent home, there was a master of the house, and then there were a, a variety of servants who did a variety of jobs. And that was part of life, and some of the servants' job was to be prepared for the master when he were, was to come home. Now, you might get invited to a, a wedding... And go to the wedding, and, and unlike today, where, you know, you get the invitation, the wedding's at four, so be here at four, and you know it's probably going to go to, like, you know, if it's a it's really kicking party, maybe nine, right? Because the bride and groom, they want to leave, they don't want to stay there, but maybe we're going to be there till eight or nine, and you're like, all right, I know when I'm going to come home. In that day, you got invited to a wedding feast, and you showed up, and you might be there for a meal, you might be there for a day, you could be there for up to a couple weeks, depending on like the nature of the surrounding events, and you didn't know before you got there. They didn't send out the invitation, like, this is going to be a two-weeker, so get, get everybody prepared. You went, and you ate, and then there were places for you to sleep, and you had conversation with people, and it was like a fa big family reunion, and people traveled from all over the place, and it was a really big deal. But you left your servants at home to be prepared for whenever it was that you came home. Your servants didn't know if you were coming home in a day, a week, or when you were coming home. But what was their job? Was their job to guess at when you might come home? Was their, get, was their job to like get together a chart and figure out, well, he said he's going to leave at this time, and it takes this many hours, and these people have this much money, so it'll probably run out about here, and let's figure it out. Right, And somebody came up with a chart, and then they had a prophecy conference, and it was all great. No! Their job was to do what? Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. Yeah, but it seems so inefficient. Like, couldn't we just wait, and then when he shows up, we'll get up, get dressed, and stay dressed for action. Jesus is telling this story to say, you know what? Be ready. Continue to stay ready. Verse uh, 30, end of verse, verse 36, the rest, rest of verse 36. He says, so that, when he may, when, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And then verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. He will come and serve them. Uh, verse 38 says, if he, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Second and third watch really could have been any time from 9 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock in the morning. So I have a little quiz. I took it in the first service, and we're going to see how you guys do. How many of you like to be awake at 3 o'clock in the morning? 
one, okay, good, that's, this is what I got in the first service, it's very telling, okay, it's all the kids that like to be up at three o'clock in the morning, now there's a difference between a kid and adult, right, kids like to stay up until three o'clock in the morning, for some reason the older I get, the more frequently I find myself waking up at three o'clock in the morning, I don't want to be awake, why are we awake right now, don't tell me, you all know why we're awake, we don't need to talk about it here, this is church, right, What's the difference between adults and kids? I don't want to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning. How many of you want to go to bed by 9 o'clock? Like, perfect world, 9, a. 9 p.m., I'm in bed. A few people, all right? We have more in the first service. That's why they're here at the first service, and that's why you guys are here at the second service. I get it. I appreciate it, all right? But at the end of the day, for me, I don't know about you, for you, but for me, 3 o'clock in the morning is not my best hour, Okay? The, the, uh, the, the uh, what is that thing called? The smoke detector that always chirps at three in the morning. You're right, the, why? Why is it? A th- is there a thing in there that's like battery will go out at three o'clock every, in the morning every time? Those are not my best hours. My daughters know, like if I want something from dad, don't wake him up at three, four o'clock in the morning and ask him for it. There's been stories that have been told about like my lack of sanctification at that hour in the, in the morning. I, I say I'm not even saved before at least 6.30 a.m., Sometimes Chris Berry asked me to go fishing. I said, what time would I need to be there? 4.30? Like, I'm not even saved at 4.30, Chris. I can't come to your house at that point, right? But he says, even if they come at the, at, at, in, in the middle of the night, be ready, be prepared. And there's a shocking twist in that. He says, like, if the master shows up in the middle of the night and the servants are prepared and they're ready to go, it says the master is actually going to take them and roles are going to reverse and he's going to become the servant and they're going to become the served. And what Jesus is actually referring to there, there's like a veiled allusion to something called the messianic banquet. You can, you can read about it. It's an end times thing. You can read about it in the end of Isaiah. You can also read about it in the end of Revelation. And the, the messianic banquet where like we will have that opportunity and where we will, again, be like blessed by God for our readiness. And so verse 38, that's what he's talking about. And then in verse 39, he says, but know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. And you're thinking, that, that seems like a, a little role change there. Jesus actually changes the, the word picture to continue to make the same point. This, the, the point of this whole thing is readiness, right? And it kind of goes like this. If, if Someone came to my friend Jason, who you're here, who's got a great family, and came to Jason, came to his, his door, and said, okay, on Wednesday at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to come to your home. I'm going to break into your front door. I'm going to tranquilize your dog, because the, the dog is pretty, like, you know, aggressive. I'll tranquilize the dog, and I'm going to steal things from you. I'm going to steal all of your Galaxy's Edge merchandise that you work so hard to create. I'm going to steal your children. I'm going to just, you know, and I'm going to be there about 3 o'clock on Wednesday morning. What's Jason going to do? Jason's going to go to his safe. He's going to get out his AR or two and some hand grenades. I'm sure he's got them, right? And he's going to sit at his front door, and he's going to wait. Not outside his front door, because I think castle law states that if they're breaking in, then you can shoot them and drag them in. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? No, he's going to be prepared. But the point of this is that nobody has ever broken into somebody's house after first sending a postcard or a telegram saying, hey, I'm going to show up and this is going to happen. The idea is that we're always prepared. 
That's why we sleep with, like, weapons, right? That's why we have alarm systems. That's why we have dogs, because there's a preparedness and a readiness. If someone breaks into my home and I'm like just laying there asleep and the dog's losing his mind, the alarm's going off, and, and I'm not doing anything about it, there's a bit of a problem. Be prepared. Be ready. That's what Jesus is talking about right there in that verse. And then he says this, verse 40. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you did not expect. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So that whole story that he just told was to show that there is a second coming of Christ. Like Jesus will return. That he could return at any time. And he will return in both salvation and judgment. And our job is not to guess when. Our job isn't to like try to, to, to put together the Bible code and figure out the things that Jesus never intended us to know. If the Son of Man himself in his earthly ministry didn't even know the day or the hour, are we supposed to figure out the day or the hour? No, we're supposed to be prepared because that day or that hour could happen at any time. That's what he talks about here. He talks about staying awake, being awake, always being awake. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to actually look at 1 Peter 1 next week for Easter. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, right? Preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded because of the grace that's going to be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about as you look forward to the end times, prepare your mind for action. Same idea as gird up your loins here. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded as you think about that. To stay awake and be prepared and be ready. There's a hunting show I watch on TV. It's called Meat Eater. I like the show. Um, and so we were watching it one day, and they were out hunting. And the guys are hunting, I think, deer or elk or something. They're in this tree stand. And they've got, like, game cameras, and then they've got, obviously, the TV cameras. But they're in this camouflage stand. There's two of them. They're sitting there, and they're waiting. And they fall asleep. Like, they have it on camera. And they fall asleep, and as they're sleeping, you know what the game camera picks up? This huge buck just walks right under the <laughs> right under the tree stand, messes around for a while, and leaves. And they're like cutting in and out, and the guys are just like passed out asleep. And the thing leaves, and then later they bring them in and they show them. <laughs> they they pull up the video and they're like, guys, watch this. Boom. Oh no! What were we doing? What were we thinking? Right? I would suggest to you that they were not ready that they were not prepared, that they were not dressed for action, that their lamps were not burning, that they were not awake, and they missed out. Jesus is saying, be awake, be ready, be prepared. He says, not just get ready, but remain ready. Right? Not just kind of like wait till the last minute and try to hurry up and get ready. Not just like get ready and then stop, but like to remain ready all the time, to be prepared for the return of Christ. What does that, what does that like really look like? Does that mean I just kind of always go around thinking, oh, it could happen at any time? They talk about Christians who are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. That's not what he's calling us to. But what we're going to see in the next verses, though, is that readiness is actually expressed. Like if, if I'm ready, th th there's a way that we can tell. There's a way that we can see it. And that's this, that, that readiness, being ready for the second coming of Christ and being prepared is actually expressed in something called faithfulness. And that's what we'll talk about in verses 41 through 48, the, the, the end of the 
story is the idea of faithfulness. And he says it like this in verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Peter's like, like, okay, you told us you were going to tell us these stories. Some people were going to get it. Some people weren't going to get it. And like, who are you talking to here? Is this just for like just us 12 disciples or is this for kind of everybody? And Jesus answers the same way he always does, right? He's very enigmatic and he just kind of gives them this answer, as a, this question as an answer. The Lord said, verse 42, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom this master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Who's, who's the wise manager? And in that day, again, you had all of your servants, and then there was an overseer of the servants, so that when the master left, there was a ma- household manager, and the household manager's job is to make sure everything worked together. If you've ever watched like TV shows related to Victorian England, you kind of see a pretty good expression of that with all the different household servant structure and then those who are in charge of that. And what would happen is that as that master left, he left the manager in charge. And the manager then was the person who made sure that the estate worked the way that the estate was supposed to work, that the household ran the way that it was supposed to, that everybody was fed the way that they were supposed to, and if there was land to be cultivated, that it was done in the way that it was supposed to. And all of the things worked together. And the master would leave. There's several parables related to this, right? The master goes to a far country or things like that. And in this particular case, the master has gone and has gone to the wedding feast. And he's left the manager there. And the manager is a steward. We talked about stewardship last week. But the manager is the person who has been entrusted with something that's not his. But he's entrusted, he has been entrusted to care for something that's not his. That's stewardship, right? Is, is when somebody entrusts you with something and says, here, care for this on my behalf. I was thinking about this in terms of, of the idea of babysitting. And I, I preached this sermon or preached on this text several years ago. And when I preached on it the first time, uh, my girls were young. And so the illustration I used was like stewardship when I hire a babysitter and bring the babysitter in and entrust my daughters to that babysitter and that they are there to steward that. You know what's weird? My girls are now the stewards. They're the ones who are babysitting people's kids. But I love the analogy because your children are your most prized thing on earth, right? And for somebody to call one of my girls and say, I want you to babysit my kids, to me that's like the weightiest of stewardship. Here's my one-year-old and my three-year-old. And I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go off, and I'm going to go somewhere, and, and, you know, i got stuff that i got to do, and it's going to be you and them. And I'm trusting that when I come back home, they're alive. Check, that's good, okay. They're, they're clothed, at least mostly. They're fed. They're healthy. They're not bleeding, okay. There are certain things. You're like, oh, I'm entrusting these things to you. And then parent leaves, and then babysitter is, like, there and is in charge. And there's a few things, a few ways that a babysitter can react and respond to that. A babysitter can be faithful in that stewardship, care for the kid and, and instruct the child in accordance with how the parent wants the child to be instructed or, you know, make the food and give them the food. Like if the parent says eat vegetables, then it's, it's vegetables, right? It'd be a lot easier if you just throw the vegetables in the trash or, more, or better yet, bring them home with you so that the parents don't find them in the trash later. That kind of thing. But the stewardship is to care for the child. 
And a faithful babysitter will steward that well. However, an unfaithful babysitter says, Man, I have had a long day and I don't feel like dealing with kids. I know, I'll hire a different babysitter. The digital babysitter. We'll just put the digital babysitter on and I'll go do whatever I want. I got a bunch of friends who want to come over. We'll lock the kids in their room and I'll have a bunch of friends over. And I've had to talk to my girls about something called the nanny cam, right? Like they need to know about the nanny, because that's important. And I told the first service, like all of us are on nanny cam, as you think about it, right? Because God is omniscient, God is omnipresent, God is sovereign. God knows what we're doing with the things that he's entrusted to our care. And at the end of the day, our life is about stewardship. And in verse 43, he says this. Look at verse 43. Make sure you're right there. This is like a key verse. So he said that that wise, that faithful manager has some stuff that he's been entrusted with. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. God has given us a stewardship. God has given each of us as Christians a stewardship, something to care for. That can be your career. Uh, That starts with your relationship with God, right? God has given that to us to, to care for. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, other relationships, your career, your friends, your time, your talent, your treasure. God has given us all of those things to care for. And then it says, again, in verse 43, blesses a servant who the master finds so doing when he comes. When the master comes and finds the servants faithful, those are the servants who are blessed. There's a phrase that's really important to me, and the phrase is this, be faithful with what's in front of you. Be faithful with what's in front of you. I think for for many of us, being faithful means at that thing that's like out there somewhere, right? Well, the the Lord's coming back sometime. Or it can can mean be, be faithful, like I would be more faithful at my job if I had a better job. Or I'd be more faithful with my friends if I had better friends. Or I'd be more faithful with my money if I had better money. God has put on your plate what he wants on your plate. God has given you gifts and talents. God has given you time. God has given you relationships. He's put those things on your plate. And he's calling you to be faithful with what's on your plate. Right? Like You don't have to be faithful with what's on my plate. And I don't have to be faithful to what's on your plate. We don't have to compare each other's plates and think about who needs to be more faithful or less faithful. Be faithful with what's in front of you means that Jesus will come and he could come at any time. And when he comes, will he find me being faithful with what's right in front of me that he's given me? And what I shouldn't do is look at my plate and be like, man, I wish I had their plate. Or, man, I'd like more stuff on my plate. Or I'd like a bigger plate. Or I'd like a smaller plate. I'd like a different plate. What I do is I look at what God has given me. Maddie and I were talking about this last night. And, and at the end it says, To whom much is given, much is required. And I was trying to explain like what, what that means and what it looks like for me. And I said, it's kind of it's like this. I believe that God has called me to do what I'm doing right now. Like I believe that God has entrusted me with the responsibility to steward his word and to preach and teach his word. Faithful stewardship for me looks like 
spending a lot of time studying and reading and digging into the text and spending hours each week doing that, crafting sermons, thinking about these things and, and thinking about like how that applies to each of us and, and like really working on that. So, so that's faithful stewardship in this one area. Unfaithful stewardship would look like it's Saturday night at 9 o'clock. I'm going to go download something because i got nothing for tomorrow, right? Or unfaithful stewardship would be like, well, I've got a verse that I really like, and I'll quote that, and then I'll, like, give my ideas and opinions about stuff for a half an hour, right? Or, you know what, I know God has called me to do this, but, man, it's just hard, especially having to do it twice every week. I'm going to go get a job at Wendy's, right? Because that's not my calling. If God's called you to Wendy's, you work hard at Wendy's. If God has put Wendy's on your plate, then you go to Wendy's and you work hard every day and be faithful with what's in front of you. And what I got to do on the days that I want to and the days that I don't is I got to come here and I got to work hard and be faithful with what's in front of me. That's my stewardship. And that's just one area of life. But what I want to have happen is that if, if the Lord returns before he calls me home, that he finds me faithful with what's in front of me with my wife and my kids and with this church and with all of the other areas that he's placed in front of me because that's what he's talking about. And he's, when he says the word blessed in verse a couple different times, and then in verse 44 it says, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. This is kind of like in Matthew, and I think Mark as well, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Being blessed, hear, hearing God say blessed, or hearing God say well done, is the greatest blessing you can ever experience in your life. It's a greater blessing than any financial blessing. It's a greater blessing than any career development or move. It's the greatest blessing you can hear in your life. And he promises that to those of us who are faithful. Conversely, there are unfaithful servants in the next few verses. Verse 45, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Might I submit that that's not the servant that you want to be, right? This is like, you know, the daughter is babysitting, ah, they're not going to come home for a while, let's eat all their food and break into their liquor cabinet and have a big party and lock their kids in the closet. That's not going to be good. If those people are watching my kid and I show up and I find that, there are going to be problems, aren't they? Cutting to pieces might, might, might occur, right? Yeah. This is called a defiant servant. In the parable, in the story, this is someone who is defiant. This is someone who's, who is not a Christian, doesn't love the Lord or the things of the Lord, and is defiant against the things of the Lord. There's another servant that's here in verse 47. It says, That servant, a different servant, who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. That's an indifferent servant. Okay, you've got the defiant servant that's going to be cut to pieces. You've got an indifferent servant. This is a person who sits under biblical teaching, hears God's word, has Christian parents, maybe goes to Christian school or is homeschooled, is surrounded by this Jesus stuff like all the time and has no interest in it. 
It says, he knew the master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will. And there will be punishment for that servant. There's a third servant, verse 48. The one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. That's a distracted servant. That's someone who's so distracted by the world or so distracted by their own thoughts or other things that are going on that they don't even hear, they don't even know, they don't even understand. And some people are like, well, yeah, but they kind of like get off the hook pretty easy, right? Like there's, there's three levels of punishment here. There's the cutting into pieces, a severe beating, and then a light beating. You're like, I don't really want the cut into pieces thing. Severe beating, like I, get, I got those like when I was a kid, I deserved them, but like I don't really want that. The light beating... Like, how light are we talking about here, right? Like, some people are really trying to decide, like, well, maybe I could go with the light beating. No, the idea is you don't want to receive any of the punishment. These people are all unfaithful, and we're not trying to be punished in any way that we're trying to be faithful servants. And that's why he ends the end of verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. I would suggest this, that we have all been entrusted with something. Like as Christians here, we've all got a plate. God's put the things that he wants on my plate on my plate, and the things he wants on your plate on your plate. As Christians, if you're a Christian, God has entrusted you with some things. And he requires that you be faithful with those things. Your job is to figure it out. Figure it out. What, God, what has God put on my plate? What are the things that God's put in front of me and called me to be faithful with? Start at looking at your closest relationships. Start at looking at those places where you have the most influence. Right? That's what God has called you to be faithful with. We're to be ready and we're to be faithful. There are people who are ready and people who are asleep. There are people who are faithful and people who are unfaithful. At the end of the day, I want you to see in this text the important idea that there is judgment that is coming. And I want to like draw this to a close this morning with a, a story. And it's, it's a little bit of it, it's a true story. It's of me as a teenager. So obviously, like there's a little bit of humor in it. But I, I want you to hear the ideas of readiness and faithfulness and hear this parable in a different story that I hope like, draws it together. So I grew up from the time that I was 15 until the time I graduated from high school and went off to college. My mom was a single mom at that time. And it was her and myself and my brother who was about three and a half years younger than me. And we all lived in a little like single wide trailer um, on about an acre of wooded property. And my mom worked uh, a job at a doctor's office that was about a half hour away. And then my job was to like make sure that my brother and myself got to school. I, I, you know, we got up in the morning, got ready, and got in my car, safely got to school, did school, and then we safely returned home uh, each night. And when we got home each night, my mom had like a list of chores that were things that we needed to do and to make sure that like life could run because she, she was working so much. And so there was a list of chores and things that we needed to do. And it usually was things like vacuum the house or dust the house or, you know, clean up these things or do whatever, do the dishes. We didn't have a dishwasher. She called us the dishwashers. There you go, built character. And so we had the list of things that we were supposed to do. And then in addition to that, like a lot of times I would make dinner. Now I know this scares many of you. But one of my jobs was to make dinner. And, and I was good at three things. I was good at spaghetti. What was the second one? I was good at spaghetti, 
something frozen. Foods that end in Edo's. I could do those if there were frozen foods that end in Edo's. Burritos, taquitos, right? Okay. And then I could also do Hamburger Helper. If you don't know what Hamburger Helper is, it's an amazing invention. And so there you go. Some parents are ready to kill me at this point. So that was our job. One of the cool things about the fact that my mom worked a half hour away is that she was like, you could always count on the fact that every night she was going to call and say, hey, we're heading, I'm heading home. I'll be there in a half hour, whatever. Just let us know. Hey, I'm leaving the office right now because it was different times every night that she would kind of get done and stuff like that. Hey, I'm coming home. Okay, cool. So my brother and I, like we're teenage boys, right? School gets out of 3.30. We get home. We know mom gets home usually 6, 6.15, 6.30, 7, whatever. We get home. There's our list. We're like, oh, the list. We should probably do all of our chores first, even before we get out of our school uniforms. Let's leave our school uniforms on, do all of our chores like faithful stewards, and get, is that what happens, parents? No, heck no. As soon as you got out of the door, the backpack thrown off, the uniforms off, the basketball shorts and the t-shirt are on, right? MTV comes on, which we weren't supposed to watch, but there it was. You know, the snacks. Then, then the locust horde descends on the kitchen and the snacks. I told the first service, I once ate a pound of bacon and nine pieces of toast as an after-school snack. I'm not suggesting it, and I know it'll be used against me later. But like as boys, we could eat some food. We ate Pop-Tarts by the box right? And we would do this. They had these things called toaster strudels. Oh, thank you, Jesus, okay? But we would come home, and we would just tear into stuff, and the house would look like a disaster area, right? You've got, like, those little foil packages from the Pop-Tarts are all over the place, and crumbs, and MTV, and just, you know, I'm passed out in a chair. He's on the couch, and then the phone would ring. Pick up. Hello? Hey, it's me. I'm heading home. Okay, love you. Are the chores done? Oh, yeah, for sure. Love you. See you. Click. Shh. Go! Ah! And my buddy Phil taught us a really cool thing about dusting. One of the big tasks was dusting. Is Instead of dusting behind everything and moving stuff and taking stuff apart, what you do is you just take the dust spray and the duster, and you just dust the front of the bookshelf and the, dust the front where everybody can see, and then you run around the room spraying the dust spray so it smells like dust, you know, like somebody's dusted, and then, like, the parent walks in, and it's like, oh, you guys dusted. Yes, we did. You know how many times that ever worked? None. Anyway, we're running around the house. We're taking care of stuff, figuring, you know, get it all together, ah, clean it all up. I'm out in the kitchen, hamburger helper, and we lived on this acre property. It was a gravel uh, driveway, and my mom drove a 1990, I think it was a 94 Isuzu Trooper. The thing was loud, and the driveway was loud, and so we could hear her from the time she came in with the engine of the Trooper and the gravel, and she'd come up, and I'm like, we're good, we're everything, okay, oh, stuff that under, okay, good. Yeah, and the keys jingle in the door. She opens the door, smells the hamburger helper. Hey, mom, how are you? Oh, good, right? Let's have dinner. It'll be ready in about five minutes. We love you. All right. Faithful stewardship. Woohoo! Every once in a while. Like every once in a great. She, she's such a faithful mom, but every once in a while, she would call. She would forget to call. We're passed out on the couch, stuff all over the place, uniforms thrown over lampshades, Pop-Tart residue. And I didn't hear the phone ring. You know what I heard? The Azuzu Trooper coming to the gravel driveway. Okay? 
Now, Luke doesn't record these words, but Matthew records these very important words. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> I live that reality. She walks in the door, no, don't kill us now. The Lord has more for my plate. Don't kill me, right? But in both of those cases, man, we were like not being faithful stewards. I hope my mom's on a plane and not watching this right now. She's supposed to be coming to visit us today. Let's just keep this between us when she's here next week, right? Especially the dusting thing. No, but what I think that that shows is this. That at the end of the day, there's a readiness and that there's a faithfulness. And we were not practicing that in any way. And there was like a little bit of like judgment that came our way. Let me suggest this as the point of the parable. That fearful anticipation fuels faithful preparation. Fearful anticipation fuels faithful preparation. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. And some of you are going to say, well, fearful, I don't like that word. Let's not use fearful, right? We shouldn't be fearful of God. We need to like, be eager. And not... Wait a minute. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here's what I mean by fearful. I was talking with Forrest Bush in between services. And we, we said, sometimes people don't like this fearful thing in relation to God because we've had bad experiences either with our own fathers or we've had bad experiences with like religion and like trying to instill fear. And we're not talking about that kind of fear. But I want to tell you that there was some, some fearful respect and reverence and awe from me to my mother that motivated me to like move forward and do the things and be faithful with the things that she called me to, right? So it is with our relationship with God. And you can see that in this story. He doesn't put the cutting to pieces thing in there for no reason. That there should be a, a level of reverence and awe. As a matter of fact, when I wrote this up until last night, I had the word eager anticipation. And I thought, you know what? Like, I'm eager to go on vacation in a couple weeks. I think there's more to my looking forward to the second coming of Christ than just this like eagerness, like, yay, I can't wait when it comes. There needs to be some, like, righteous fear that motivates that and anticipating that. But then what that anticipation is supposed to do is fuel me to be faithful as I prepare day in and day out and today and tomorrow. The way that I live my life, the way that I prepare my sermons, the way that I parent my kids and love my wife and we take care of our finances and do the things that we do. That there's this aspect of understanding that there's something that's going to be required of me. At the end of time, that fearful anticipation is going to fuel that faithful preparation. And guys, I would pray that for all of us who are Christians. And then I'd say this, like if you're not a Christian, that preparation begins with being fearful of the judgment of God that is real and that is expounded in Scripture. And it's, preparation begins with accepting Christ as your Savior, becoming a Christian, admitting, yes, I'm a sinner and that sin separates me from God. And I need to accept Christ and his death and his resurrection for my salvation. Then I can start to walk each day and be faithful with the things that God has placed in front of me. So I just need to bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I'm going to pray for us as Christians that we would continue to be faithful. And then for those who are here who maybe aren't Christians, that God would work on your hearts as well. God, this morning you know where my heart is. 
you know that this is a challenge and this is convicting to me because I think so many times I'm just lulled to sleep with all the trivial things in life and that, that spiritually there's not a, a fearful anticipation there's not really much anticipation at all so I just want to say that and on behalf of everyone who's, who's out here who feels the same way God that, that we realize that we don't put as much focus and, and thought on a, a real fearful anticipation of, of your coming and we're excited for that and God I pray that that would motivate us to continue to walk faithfully day in and day out and God for that person who maybe is here today who is just kind of exploring or not sure about Jesus or Christianity or religion in general thankful for the opportunity God to share your truth and I pray that you would continue to challenge and convict there as well um, God that we would continue each of us to be ready and to be faithful in light of your second coming. And we do say with that angel uh, in, in the book of Revelation, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.